to the Owlish Folk, a podcast that answers questions about the English language. I'm Amanda, and with me is Dave. Hello, Dave. Hello, Amanda. It's nice to hear your voice again. Ooh, what a wonderful, deep, booming, <laughs> baritone voice. It was like too close to the mic. <laughs> I like that. It sounded good. It was very, very strong. You know, the introduction is the same every time. Do you just remember it or do you write it down? <laughs> I remember it, of course. Good for you. I would have to write it down. No, but you know what I do is I notice that if I don't have a smile on my face when I'm saying it, when I listen to the playback, it sounds like there's no enthusiasm. So I really have to kind of give a fist in the air and have a big smile on my face when I say it. You force a smile? No, no, I'm Okay. No. All right, no, then. Let's, let's get on with this. Now, now I know how you really feel. Let's move on. No, no, I'm smiling. No, I'm you're smiling. not. I can hear it in your voice. Oh, dear. Um, I picked a word for you today. Okay. And, uh, all right. Welcome to the Owlish Folk. I'm Dave, and with me is my chuckaboo, Amanda. Oh, my gosh, a chuckaboo. <laughs> chuckaboo, yeah, yeah. Okay, hmm. So Chuckaboo comes from the, it's called the Passing English of the Victorian Era, a Dictionary of Heterodox English Slang and Phrase. Oh my. By J. Redding Ware. And I love this book, right? So it's got some great uh, language from a Victorian era and explains it in a pretty neat way. But this one, it says, Chuckaboo, a name given familiarly to a favorite chum. <gasps> oh my goodness. Uh, no meaning, but probably... The chuck is a conversion of duck. Oh, my word. Goodness gracious. Listen to that. What a nice word. I'm your little chuckaboo. Yeah, my little chuckaboo. And I, like I think that. the connection with duck is kind of cool because duck is also a familiar term, an affectionate term for someone. My little ducky duck. Uh, it's what old people might call young people. Oh, hello, duck. What? No one does that. What do you mean? You've not heard that? No. Okay, maybe it was it's just a British thing. <laughs> but yeah, it's definitely an affectionate term. No, I've never heard that before. No? Hello, duck. It may be a, a more of a regional thing. Perhaps, perhaps, but... Yeah. But you know how you say a word a lot and then you change it just to make it more fun? Duck, chuck, chuckaboo. Oh, uh, excuse okay. me. Well, I... Nevertheless, I love that word. I hope that you refer to everyone. No, 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 no. it's not for no, everyone. No. It's just for you. What I'm trying to say is I hope you let everybody know that I am your little chuckaboo. I will. We'll put it in the show notes. Okay. <laughs> That's my favorite thing to say now because you write the show notes. So every time I say that, you have to write more in the show notes. That's okay. I don't mind doing it. I do it with a smile on my face. Can you put that in the show notes too? <laughs> do you have a word for me? A really friendly, charming word. Okay. So my mother-in-law, she got um, my daughter a book written by James Patterson and Susan Patterson. Yes, it is James Patterson, the same guy who writes all the crime novels. Um, it's called Big Words for Little Geniuses. So it's this really cute book, um, one word for each letter of the alphabet, and it's for kids to learn some large vocabulary. Okay. I've opened up randomly to the page for the letter E, and the word is empyreal. It means heavenly, like the enchanting blue color of the sky on a sunny day. Oh, thank you so much. And you're going to use that to describe me. 
Yes, you're the imperial co-host of mine. Thank you. All right, so two words. Chuckaboo and imperial. You're my imperial chuckaboo. I like that. What is the uh, topic for our episode today? So today we're going to have, and actually Dave referred to this earlier as the third installment of a, a series that we're doing on interesting sentences. So we have a little outlet and we're focusing on garden path sentences. So what is a garden path sentence, Dave? Well, the clue is in the name, right? So to be led up the garden path is a way of saying to be led in the wrong direction. Yes. To be led the wrong way, to go, to follow the wrong clues and go in the wrong direction. Kind of get tricked. Yeah, to get tricked or misled. Uh, So a garden path sentence is exactly that. A sentence that, as you read it, seems to lose its meaning. You think it means one thing, and the more you read, the less you understand it. Yes. When you first look at these sentences, you see these clumps of words, like an adjective and a noun, and you think, because of the way the grammar rules are, that something will logically follow, but then it doesn't follow. And you're like, what? Yeah. This doesn't make sense. Well, that's right. Let's, let's look at an example. And then I think this will all uh, become clear. So I think the best example to start with is uh, the old man, the boat, <laughs> the old man, the boat. Yes, the old man, the boat. And so, like you said, we look at the the sentence in chunks. So we call this uh, chunking, right? So the old man seems to be the subject of the sentence. So we start thinking about what's going to happen to this old man. What's he done? What's the verb going to be? The boat. And this is not a verb. So we have to then go back and reread. And the trick here is, well, there are two parts to the trick. The old means old people in general, we can call the old, the definite article referring to a group. The group is old people, the old. And then man is a verb to mean, that means um, to take responsibility for or to control something, usually um, a place or a machine or something. So if I'm cooking breakfast, I might man the bacon, which means (laughs) I take control of the bacon. I'll turn it so it doesn't burn. Why, why am I thinking of bacon? Anyway. I don't know, but it's a very odd example. <laughs> man odd my example. bacon. How about a better example? So soldiers might man a station or man a checkpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, means they take responsibility for, they check who's coming through or what's happening there. Yeah. Uh, you might man a machine to make sure that the machine works correctly. <laughs> the old man, the boat. And we mm-hmm. can see how this misleads us. It's not about an old man. It's about old people who take responsibility for controlling the boat. Yes, that's right. Yeah, when I first read that sentence, yeah, I definitely didn't know what direction it was going in. Yeah, and yeah, you really feel like it's a, about an old man. Um, <laughs> no, I was, when I was doing research for this episode, I was reading this article that was explaining how scientists are looking at these garden path sentences and how the brain is parsing the words. But then at the same time, they're looking at eye movement and they're seeing when these people, the subjects are reading these garden path sentences, 
their eyes are reading over the sentence and then they zoom back to the subject because the subject isn't actually a subject. It's actually a noun and a verb. But the way that they're set up, the noun is kind of usually acting as an adjective and the verb is acting normally as a noun. So people, as I said, you know, old man, you think of that as an adjective and a noun, but it's not. It's working as two totally different things. So then the eyes kind of scan back to read the sentence and go back. And it's just really interesting. Well, it is. And what they're studying is passing strategies. So how do we pass a sentence? So pass is how we read in chunks. And actually, this word comes from a Proto-Indo-European root originally, which meant the allotment of of something. So um, a smaller part of a bigger thing. And then it goes into French as P-A-R-S, Old French. P-A-R-S, which was a plural of part. Mm -hmm. So in English, we have parts, they have part. And then we get the word pass from that, which means to read in chunks. So we read a group of words together. We assume they have a certain function. So the old man feels like it functions as the subject. Yeah. And then the boat should be the verb of the sentence, but actually it's the object of the sentence. And now we realize we're missing a verb. So we have to reread and we realize the subject is the old, the verb is man, the object is the boat. So this is passing. Yeah, because I always kind of understood parsing as being something that you would examine in really fine detail. Yes, and I think it it kind of could be that. So I think looking closely at what each part of something does, it goes back to the original root, the um, smaller parts of a bigger thing. So looking at it in detail. Yes. But in reading strategies, parsing is reading in chunks. So usually we read in English left to right. Um, in other alphabets or other languages, you might read right to left or top to bottom. Mm-hmm. And early on, there was there another way of reading and writing, which was called baustrophedon. Baustrophedon. And this is a Greek word, which means the way an ox plows a field, which is one way and then back the other way. So it would be left to right and then right to left left to right, right to left. And that was another form of writing and, of course, reading. Uh-huh. It would be left to right, then down to the next line, right to left, down to the next line. That makes sense, yeah, to go back and forth over it. Very cool. And actually, maybe it would be, if you were used to it, it might be a quicker way of reading because you don't have to reset your eyes to the left of the page at the end of each line. Be interesting to write a book that way. Baustrophedon style reading and writing. Very cool. I like that. Yeah, so should we look at a few more example of examples of these? I do, because these sentences are pretty crazy. All right, you, you introduce the next one. Okay, this one I had to read a lot, and I had a very in-depth conversation with my husband and my mother-in-law. Go on then. All right, the horse raced past the barn fell. Okay, okay, the horse raced past the barn fell. So the sentence actually means the horse fell. Right. So the barn fell is misleading, right? That's right. Because we talked about felling in a previous episode. So I was thinking the horse had raced past the part of the barn that was taken down. 
like the barn fell. But then we talked about it more. And I think for a lot of these sentences, it makes sense if you add that or who or which to kind of specify what's going on with the subject. So if you say the horse that raced past the barn fell, then you can say, oh, okay, it was this horse, mm. this specific one, the one with, you know, a big stripe down its forehead that raced past the barn and ended up falling and wasn't a different horse. So it's the horse that was raced because it's something was done to the horse, the horse that was raced, the horse raced, the horse that was raced past the barn fell over. Mm-hmm. So it's identifying the characteristic of the horse. And then the horse fell over. That's right. Okay. The horse that was raced past the, var- the barn fell over. And so it's yes, not something the horse did, but something that was done to the horse. The horse that was raced is the quality of the horse. Yeah. So I actually thought in the beginning that it was the horse that raced past the barn mm. once I figured out what was going on. But like you just said... It's not the horse that raced past the barn. It's the horse that was raced past the barn. That was the one that fell. And if we take away fell, the horse raced past the barn, that's a sentence. Mm -hmm. That's perfectly fine, right? So it's the fell part that then gives us a clue that we've not understood this properly. But also the problem with that is the horse raced past the barn Mm. Is a totally different idea than the horse that was raced it is. past the barn. Yes, yes. So we've got raced here isn't the verb in the sentence, isn't the main verb. It's a noun clause. So a noun clause, it acts as like a sentence on its own. So it's a complete clause. The horse raced past the barn. It has a subject and a verb, but then it mm-hmm. acts only as the subject of a sentence. Should we uh, have a look at another one? Yes, please. Give me another one. The man who hunts ducks out on weekends. The man who hunts ducks out on weekends. See, I think you have to be careful with reading it, though, because it's easier to make when you say it to have it make sense to the audience because we know what it means. I'll read it in two ways. Okay. The man who hunts ducks out on weekends. The man who hunts ducks out on weekends. Okay. And now I think the second one gives the meaning, but the first one gives us the garden path idea. Oh, the man who hunts ducks? No, it's the man who hunts ducks out on weekends. So ducks is the verb in the sentence, and to duck out is actually a a verb phrase. So um, duck out means to avoid responsibility for or to get out of doing something that you don't want to do. That's right. And I think with just with the other sentences that we talked about in the two previous episodes, if you see this in writing, it's much more difficult to understand than it is when somebody is actually saying it. Because when you're talking, at least you're getting context, you're getting pace, you're getting emphasis. So if I'm talking about This guy who hunts and he's not, you know, he's kind of relinquishing his duties or being lazy. I'm going to say the man who hunts ducks out on weekends. And then you'll know what I'm trying to say about this guy. But when you read them and we will put them in the notes, it's really difficult when you first read it to figure out what's going on. Yeah, you're absolutely right. What we saw 
two episodes ago with the buffalo sentence and the had had yes. sentence was when we say them they can be confusing but when you read them the capital letters and the punctuation give us the meaning right but with these yes yeah the, the punctuation isn't the problem here it's that's right. the assumed words the implied words like you said so which does or which has these extra words tell us what the verb is and what the subject is in the sentence but when we assume the reader knows them then they get lost but i do agree though that if these sentences had some carefully placed punctuation there would be absolutely yeah. no problem in understanding them which i think we can give some examples after but yeah the man who hunts ducks out on weekends when you first read it, you're saying yeah. who hunts duck? Like, I think people kind of want to read it as hunting ducks out on weekends. But you're like, oh, that's not what it means. No. And the, yeah, this is the garden path part. So ducks is both uh, a noun and a verb. Mm -hmm. And we assume the noun form when actually the verb form is being used. That's um, right. Yeah. Very good. It's a, a homonym. Hmm. Right. Uh, your turn. What have you got? Okay. The complex houses married and single soldiers and their families. Wait. The complex houses married and single soldiers and their families. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to say it in a way that would kind of put more emphasis on married so that you'd be a little bit tricked. Okay. So it feels like you're saying the complex houses are kind of houses, right? Yes. But the complex is the subject of the sentence. Houses yes. isn't a noun, it's a verb. That's right. So the complex houses or has people living in it who are That's right. married and single soldiers plus their families. That's right. Complex houses, married and single soldiers and their families, yeah. which doesn't have any punctuation in it, which yes. means <laughs> it's, yeah, it's all in how you say it to somebody but if you just read it it's definitely confusing and i think the key word like you said before is married because usually we're used to seeing that verb in the middle of the sentence and our eyes read it and we say okay there's some stuff in front and then we have the verb so that's going to kind of split the sentence in half and then we can kind of figure out what's going to happen from the context yes at the beginning of the sentence to make the ending make sense but it just it's all kooky. It really is. The complex houses married? How can houses get married? Um, yeah. They must be very complex. Yeah. <laughs> very cool. That's a really good one. Thank you. Your turn, David. Okay. I convinced her children are noisy. What? I convinced her children are noisy. I convinced her children are noisy. Yeah. I convinced her children are noisy. I'll read it one more time. Okay. I convinced her children are noisy. Aha! Very good. Yes. See, I was trying, I was saying I convinced, I did what to convince her that the children are noisy. Yeah. yeah. I convinced her children are noisy. See, that intonation is really important, the pace. Yes, and so I convinced her that children are noisy is much easier to understand, mm -hmm. but the, that is just implied. I convinced her, because mm -hmm. when we see her children are noisy, we think that's what the sentence is about, her noisy children. I am convinced her children are noisy. I think her children are noisy. Yes. But that's not what we're saying. So... 
it's a, it gives a totally different spin on it. We have to start again and re reread. Mm. How about this one? The girl told the story cried. Ah, uh, okay. So now I feel like we're getting a, a, on a roll here. So <laughs> the girl okay. told the story. It's not the girl told the story. It's the girl who was told the story cried. So it's the girl. Yes. The girl cried. Uh, so probably because of the story she was told, right? The girl told the story. It's the girl who had the story told to her. So in the sentence, told the story is the adjective. So the girl who was told the story cried. Then we're describing the girl. We're not saying what she did. That's a, It's a really confusing one. When you're looking at the sentence, your eyes are just so tricked. Yeah, and it's like when you might say a detective was led up the garden path. The detective was misled by some evidence that he misinterpreted or uh, read the wrong way or that didn't mean what he or she thought it meant. It's exactly that. We're de decoding what these words mean in this order. And then we misunderstand the function of some of these words. Yeah. Okay, I've got another here. Let's hear it. The man returned to his house was happy. Okay, so I too feel like now I'm getting the hang of it. So the man who was returned to his house was happy. Yes, mm -hmm. the man who was returned. So the yeah. man didn't return. That's right. He was returned to his house. Yes. Okay, so the part of um, return to his house functions as an adjective for the man, describing the man. Okay, uh, any, any others? Do you want to do one more? The sour drink from the ocean. <laughs> what? Okay. The sour drink from the ocean. So we're not talking about a sour drink, though. So the first thought is no. always wrong, right? Okay. Yes. The sour drink from the ocean. So it means the sour people who are sour. So we might talk about a family as the Smiths, the Smith family. Yes. And the people who are sour are the sour, all sour people drink from the ocean. People who are sour drink water from the ocean. But that's such a weird sentence because who are these sour people? And what does that mean? They're just mean people. And why do mean people drink from the ocean? You could say the sour drink milk. Easy. Um, I think, yeah, we'll put these in the show notes and maybe we could add a few others. But um, if you listeners have any more examples of these, if you come across any in real life, day-to-day -day life, Share them with us. Shall we shall we leave it there? What's up next, by the way? I don't know. What is next? We had a brilliant question about good and bad. Why do we say good, better, best? Why do we say bad, worse, worst? Why is it not good, gooder, bad, badder? So should we explain that in our next episode? I think we should. Let's. We'll focus on that. And you can look forward to... I always want to say tuning in, but we're not a radio show, but... If you enjoy the show, please tell people and please give us a rating on iTunes or wherever you rate your podcasts. 
a nice rating would be uh, appreciated. Yes, and follow us on Twitter at the Ellish Folk, and also we have a Facebook page, fa- <laughs> a Facebook page, a Facebook page, the Ellish Folk. Please communicate on our Facebook page. Send us emails or messages about questions that you have about the English language, and we will turn them into episodes. Sounds good. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you. Goodbye. Thanks to Justin for the music, New Media for the artwork, and a big high five to Jeff at Central Sound and Picture. If you enjoy the podcast, please tell your friends and subscribe. You can contact us on Facebook and Twitter at The Owlish Folk. Send us questions or comments to theowlishfolk at gmail.com. Stop making that noise. What are you doing eating cheese? Those moist lips of yours. Sticky like you're eating caramel popcorn. Can you harmonize? Can you harmonize with me? On three. Amanda gave the child a dog bit a band-aid.